0: Ahoy authors! You're listening to the Writership Podcast, a show focused on helping indie authors master self editing skills. So come aboard and get ready to find the treasure in your manuscript. With hosts Leslie Watts and Alyssa Archer.
1: Welcome to episode 48 of the Writership Podcast. I'm Leslie Watts. And I'm Alyssa Archer. Leslie and I are the co-captains of Writership.org, where we create books, programs, and content for writers who want to improve their craft. With this podcast, we want to help you edit your way into a great book. If you'd like to find out more about us and Writership, you can find us on the web at Writership.org. How are you, Leslie? I'm doing all right. How are you? (laughs) I am, um, so I'm battling insomnia. Mm-hmm. One of the themes of my life is work-life balance. And it seems like the more I try and get done, <laughs> the mm-hmm. less I sleep. And yeah. it's, I, I, My insomnia is um, I have no problem falling asleep, but I'll wake up at 3.30 or 4.30 in the morning and I won't be able to get back to sleep, which I think would be a boon. But I end up feeling more tired throughout the day, and so I've been really working lately to identify those things that drain my energy, or that, you know, what thoughts are circling in my head at three thirty in the morning. What's keeping me awake, mm-hmm. and um, edit them out of my life. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because nobody, you know, as writers or artists, we tend to be people of extremes, and um, I think this might be a challenge for lots of lots of our listeners as well people who are engaged in artistic life often get unbalanced. Mm-hmm. That's my challenge right now. How about you? Yeah, I'm um
0: I find that I tend to not not I used to go guardrail to guardrail essentially on I'm taking really good care of myself and sleeping well and getting exercise and then And not, um, getting as much done. Um, and, and then on the other end, I'm not sleeping as well or I'm not exercising, but I'm getting a ton of work done. So I would kind of go guardrail to guardrail that way and just have these phases, some phases where I was working a lot and some phases where I was taking good care of myself. And I'm gradually getting a little closer to the middle (laughs) without having to, um, hit the sides. Um, but it's, you know, figuring out the tweaks and then realizing that there's no, like, there's no, um, as people like to say, set it and forget it on this for me, I have to continue to stay present and tweak and, you know, work with, um, ways to take care of myself and get work done. Um, cause it doesn't really work to not do that for me i know some people can go for a long time um without um lots of sleep and all of that but it just doesn't (laughs) work for me i'm kind of a i'm kind of a um perhaps a german automobile i'm a little fussy i don't know is that how german automobiles (laughs) are
1: mostly they're just expensive in my experience but (laughs) (laughs) Perhaps, perhaps. Okay. I, I see where you're going. Yeah, I, I'm learning the value of the word no. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited about so many things, and there's so many things I want to do. And when you're a self-publisher, there is a lot to do, um, or a lot to manage. And yeah, it's it's hard not to chase that new shiny fun thing. But mm-hmm. focus, focus,
0: is focus, focus. What's the next thing? Yes. I mean what's the thing now not okay. what's the next thing it's the next thing that can get you in trouble all right well um as you know yes are we done with that i think so okay think- um as you know Alyssa and many of you the writership podcast is brought to you by the author marketing institute as part of the ami podcast network and we're super grateful to them. And you can learn more about how AMI is helping authors by visiting www.AuthorMarketingInstitute.com. And if you go there today, you can gain access, free access that is to their brand new video course entitled Selling Your First 100 Copies. That's AuthorMarketingInstitute.com. Excellent.
1: Do you have a quote for us today too?
0: I do. So this is from Dominic Dunn and here it goes. The best advice on writing was given to me by my first editor, Michael Corda of Simon & Schuster while writing my first book. Finish your first draft and then we'll talk, he said. It took me a long time to realize how good the advice was. Even if you write it wrong, write and finish your first draft. Only then when you have a flawed whole do you know what you have to fix. And again that's Dominic Dunn. Ah, uh, yes, finish what you start. Yeah, I think it's tempting to fix as you go along. Um and I um you know I change things obviously. I have changed things. I changed my um, my setting in a big way, um, after starting my current novel. Um, but I'm just, I am writing through to the end and I'm going to fix all the little bits that I need to fix later because then I can see the bigger structure because some of that stuff might get cut, might get moved, might get changed in big ways. Um, so I'm getting, I'm going through to the end before I start monkeying around with that stuff.
1: I think that's important and helpful advice. I know that I I tend to write, um, I'm an underwriter. Mm-hmm. And so I, I tend to write pretty, actually pretty mm, more descriptive or longer opening scenes. And then um, as I get deeper in the story, the scenes get shorter and shorter and And then I'll go through in a second draft. I'll push further. Like I always make it all the way to the end, but the end might just be very thin on that first draft. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's important. You can't, you can't go back to the beginning and figure out what needs to be there or doesn't need to be there until you know how it ends. And I don't think you really, I don't, I don't know it. Maybe some authors do have everything nailed down in their head, the complete story, but that's not me. Yeah. Yeah. Different experiences. Yeah. And there's, again, obviously no right or wrong way to do it, but I do think this is particularly good advice. Mm -hmm. And I've known authors. I've uh, I've known authors who will write their first, second, maybe even the third chapter and then go back and rewrite the first chapter and rewrite the first chapter again. And then, you know, they've got 14 versions of their first chapter and it's perfect. They love it, and when they go back to write chapter four, chapter four feels awful in comparison, and then they lose their inspiration and give up on the book itself. Sometimes it's nice to have that uniform uniformity of tone mm-hmm. and um, that cohesion. All right, yeah. Excellent. Uh, let's get to our critique session. Yeah. So today we have a piece from J.H. Lucas. This is from a young adult science fiction novel. where count total is about 75,000. And this is from the first five pages. So Thank you so much, J.H. Lucas, for submitting this to the Writership Podcast. And I do want to mention that um, we'll have show notes on our website, on the podcast page, and you can follow along in the reading there if you like. Generation Havoc. Once upon a time, a hundred years from now, when most of San Francisco is covered with water, a boy named Cash will travel to an island just for kids one bitter colder waters the old buildings poked up out of the water like fingers reaching for the sky the city was called san francisco just a century ago before the seas rose and the earth quaked as if the planet was trying to shake the people off its back and wash them away but now the buildings downtown were like a bunch of old people standing around in a giant swimming pool And every once in a while, one of those old people would fall over, and another skyscraper would tumble into the sea. Sometimes one skyscraper would fall into another one, knocking that one down too, and another, and another. Then they would look like a bunch of old people floating around in a giant swimming pool, staring up at the sky, saying, What? What? The rest of the city, the hilly part, was flooded too, but the tallest hills were now islands poking out of the water. On one of these islands lived a tribe of happy little people in happy little broken-down houses, and in one of the happiest, broken-downest houses lived a skinny mother and a skinny father and their fat little blue-eyed baby, Cash. The baby was named after his great-grandfather, an army cook in the second revolution, who became a hero in 2036. "'when he accidentally poisoned the enemy with a pot of bad coffee. "'Baby Cash was almost a year old "'and was already a master at making spit bubbles. "'Look here, that's advanced. "'He takes after his father,' his father Jasper said. "'You underestimate him,' his mother Marjorie joked. "'He's way smarter.' "'They quibbled good-naturedly "'as Marjorie held Baby Cash by the purple light of the jelly glows.' The tiny, iridescent jellyfish that swam in the jar, hanging over the kitchen table. She was sewing a blanket for the baby. The blanket had words sewed on it. Part of a song the tribe liked to sing sometimes around the bonfire at night. A song about a child who grows up to rebuild the world. A song of miracles and wonders. A song they all hoped would come true one day. The prophecy song. After humankind cloud the up sky. And bitter cold or waters warm, Three dead sons down the line, A leader slavish will be born, One so cross the poison sands, One so break through mannish cloud, One with dozen little hands, Shout and bring them star down, So they, build, they so build a world a wonder, Every all be treat like sames, Cause unity be their thunder, And havoc be their names. That night at the kitchen table, Marjorie hummed the song while Cash tried to sing along, babbling gibberish. His father, Jasper, sat beside them at the table, working on his latest invention. He had been working on it all night, every night, for months now, trying to work anyway. With the dim light of the jelly glows and the baby's constant gibberish, it wasn't easy. "'That boy doesn't stop babbling. I'm going to lose my mind,' said Jasper." You lost that long ago, Marjorie said. Now finish that contraption. It's not a contraption, it's a doohickey, he corrected her. Or perhaps a thingamabob? Whatever it is, finish it up so we can get some real work done around here. It was true, the house needed work. Just a bit of patching up, as Grandfather used to say. All the houses on the island needed patching up. Some of the houses had so much patching done, they were pretty much all patches, Jasper knew it would have to rain sometime soon, and then the roof would start leaking and the water would climb down the walls, and he would do his strange rain dance of placing buckets everywhere and emptying them out the windows when they got full. He would get to it soon enough. He was almost at a good stopping place on the thingamabob. Maybe it was a doohickey? He looked over at his tiny son and winked. Baby Cash blew him a raspberry. Jasper dug around in his red toolbox for the proper tool. The toolbox was his great-grandfather's, and then his grandfather's, then his father's, and was now his. One day it would be Cash's. Jasper had already painted Cash on the lid. Cash, my boy, we get this doohickey done, we'll be the talk of the town, won't we? Best tinkerer ever! Jasper was the tribe's tinkerer. A very important job. His job was to build useful things out of bits and pieces of the gone world. Crackpot more like it, Marjorie said, and Jasper laughed. Well, Mrs. Crackpot, even a stopped watch gives the right time twice a day, my father used to say. And he pushed the doohickey closer to cash so the baby could get a good look. It was a red leather glove with an old stopwatch sewed onto it. But it wasn't a stopwatch anymore. Inside the clockworks were tiny magnets of great power, connected to wires that ran outward from the watch to the tips of the glo- of Glove's fingers. He called it the feeler. It was festooned with wires and diodes, labeled with pieces of tape so Jasper could keep track of what worked and what didn't. Mostly it didn't. But he was getting closer. When he wound it, the stopwatch part lit up with a red light, and the magnet spun around in a circle and gave off a faint high-pitched whine, then a beep-beep-beep, like it was searching for something. "'This here, son,' he explained to the baby in the middle of a spit bubble, "'is what I call the feeler. It feels about in the sky, looking for a hole in the shroud. "'The shroud, a vast cloud of satellites and space junk that surrounded the world,' It had been deployed back in the satellite wars to knock out satellites with its ever-present electromagnetic pulse. Without warning, the EMPs had knocked out everything, the phones, the computers, the internet, and the planet went dark. No communication. And now, after all the wars and plagues and floods and earthquakes, nobody was even sure if anyone else was still alive in America or anywhere else. That's why he was making the feeler. To find a way to get a message through the shroud to find out if there was anyone else still out there if jasper could get it to work the only message you could send is your grandfather's recipe for bad coffee marjorie joked and this time jasper was the one giving raspberries suddenly a shot rang out it came from outside the house not far away jasper hurried them under the table It's probably Lester again, Jasper grumbled. I told him not to go shooting at Cheynais when he's on guard. Lester's not on guard tonight, Marjorie said. His wife is, and she doesn't shoot unless another shot rang out. Jasper tapped the jar of jelly glows to scare them dark. They sat in the darkness, listening, Marjorie clutching the baby tight to her. More shots rang out closer this time, but from above, other guns joined in. The tribe was firing back at whoever was out there. The kitchen window blew out, glass raining over the table. Then a moment of silence and a strange... came down as a loud wind whipped through the kitchen. Helicopters? Jasper asked. But how? Marjorie stammered. Who? Jasper peeked over the table. Bright lights bathed the house from outside, lights chopped by a fanning shadow sure enough a helicopter Jasper grabbed the feeler and his toolbox and ducked back under the table someone pounded on the front door and that brings us to the end of our submission
0: all right um, that was, I'm uh, I enjoyed this um a lot in um some of the things i liked about it um are the some really lovely details the um what are they the jelly glows and the um the thingamabob um <laughs> and just yeah really lovely details and um i'll talk more about the things that I like about it as I go along as well but but just overall I like the feel of this um, of this piece and I think that the opening is constructed well so that there's you know there's a great hook there's a great big hook right this um, the poem or the part of a poem at the very beginning um, where a boy named Cash will travel to an island just for kids. I think that's a really great hook. Um, and then we hear about the environment. Um, they're like, this is the world that we're in. And although we're kind of being, we're getting some, you know, we're getting some information and it's kind of a lot of information Um in proportion to the action in the scene, but I'm I'm okay with that because it's really <coughs> delightfully done. It's not there's not a lot of time spent. It's not too much. Um and um it's it you know, it helps set the scene. It helps make sense of um what happens next. Um I I would suggest though, and um Alyssa you can talk about this too about how you might um about your feelings about this, obviously, but I would almost take that first part about San Francisco and about the world and how it looks and, um, the, um, happy little, um, the, you know, the city. Um, and I would almost put that into just a very short prologue. And then with chapter one, have us, um, Zero in on the on the family's house, um, and have that be um, very clearly in Jasper's point of view. There's a certain point; it's kind of um, we have kind of an omniscient point of view um, up until a point, and then where we get more firmly into Jasper's point of view, where we have this at this sentence, Jasper knew it would have to rain sometime soon. And then the roof would start leaking. And the water would, yeah, do all that stuff, which is really lovely. So, um, so that's what I would say about, you know, just about the general structure of, of how this opening is created. Um, Alyssa, do you have some thoughts about that?
1: Yeah, I'm not sure that I agree with you now that I've given it a little more thought since we spoke. Um, in part because I want a prologue to be doing something more. Like if there's a prologue, I want it to connect to the story somewhere in the middle or back half of the book. Usually I want some good luck. That's one of my feelings about a strong prologue. And I don't want a prologue just to tell me what the setting is. So what I, what I see here is a really like a panoramic viewpoint that kind of looks around and shows us the world that we're stepping into and it zooms in closer and closer and closer until we're inside this broken down house. I want to start at the broken down house and then as we need to know this other stuff and we certainly do need to know it, it's lovely and wonderful, um, but I want to learn it when I need to know it, um, which is, I think in this very first chapter, it just, I would reorder things. I maybe have Jasper walking up the hill to his house and, and maybe he's the one who, we, who has these insights about the buildings as he is walking home. Um, so that's where I'm at with it. I would, I, would, I would agree. I definitely agree. There's a lot of really lovely stuff in here. I love the jelly gloves. I love the premise. I love the, you know, this clouded, you know, the shroud itself and thinking about what life might be like. It had kind of a, a little bit of cloud atlas feeling for me um, and I, I, I wanted to start in a really intimate place.
0: Yeah, I, I totally get that. Yeah, I think it comes down to a preference. Because for me, I it really helped to have the context for where they are and what's going on. So that when the helicopter appears, I'm kind of like, Whoa, wait a minute, where did a helicopter come from? Like it, if it's just if it's just a world in the future I might not be that surprised to see a helicopter but because of the way they described it um for me it was a little bit of a shock um with in in the very best way
1: (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely and I I think this is all really important um to learn before the tension takes off with that gunshot in the night Mm -hmm. um and certainly because of the contraption that um, Jasper is working on, there's plenty of opportunity to work that in.
0: Right. Um, I liked, and then, I mean, for me, the purpose of a prologue here would be to convey that history. Um, you know, there, there was a time before, and here we are in a different time. Because I still like the way that it is, um, I really, I like that um, sort of, omniscient point of view um there the old buildings poked up out of the water which would be kind of um it would be it would have a different feel to it if it were in jasper's point of view and so um
1: yeah yeah i'm um when i read this you know on one of these islands of the tribe of happy little people and happy little broken down houses you know it, it it's a lulling sort of almost fairytale-esque mm-hmm Writing style. Um, right. We, it, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was going to say that kind of makes a promise about the sort of tale you're going to enter into.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um... And um that actually brings me to the next thing that I wanted to talk about was so um so the author has this listed as gen- uh, genre is YA and subgenre is science fiction. And so um we've talked about this before. that Basically YA is I, a lot of people say oh the the genre is YA and what what we really mean when we say that um is that the um protagonist uh, often times, um, and, um, the, the main audience for the, um, for the piece, you know, is of a certain age. Um, but then you still have your content genre or, you know, where your story is, what your story is, um, what kind of timing and all of that. And so that is the, the science fiction. And, um, for me, the, the tone of this and I, you know, there's a there is a lot of um, of YA fiction out there in all different flavors and tones and and such. But the tone of this beginning, which I was delighted with, also felt to me a little more middle grade than um, than YA, just in terms of um, it was um, a little lyrical. Um, not that you can't have lyrical language in a YA fiction, but that it felt um, it felt more of that tone. Like I, when I read this, I wasn't think. Although I, I understand where you get Cloud Atlas feel. Like I in the broken down house, what I was feeling was um, Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, mm. and thinking of his um, his family. Um and so um that is not i mean that is that is just something to consider i wouldn't you know i wouldn't necessarily say to the author oh you sh- this is a middle grade fiction cuz i you know clearly i haven't read beyond this um this first chapter um beginning um so i couldn't say that for sure but it's just something to think about um, as you're looking
1: at that. Absolutely. Yeah, I think um, when I, I, I love the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory because I see that too, with all these people pent up in a small ramshackle little place. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the Prophecy Song is what made me feel the, the Cloud Atlas feeling, right? And also just the, the, the technologies. Absent for the most part for these people.
0: Right. And there's this yeah, the um it's post apocalyptic or post um climate change um disaster. Um and that you have yeah, the technology is kind of taken a step down, like and there, you know, and things are getting tribal again and it's almost it definitely has that feel of when you reach the pinnacle of technology and things fail, then you have to kind of go back to the beginning, um, and I, I, yeah, I like that about this too. And um, I think structure-wise, in terms of the scene where we're, where we're inside the house, I'm shifting gears. Sorry. <laughs>
1: Okay, well, before you do that... Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I think uh, just a little bit more about that language. So the Prophecy Song mm-hmm. has very different diction from the way that these characters speak to one another. Um, and it's interesting and poetic. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm wondering what's happened to, like, where are the differences in that diction, right? So after humankind, cloud the up sky, and bitter colder waters warm. You know, um, I'm... I'm wondering, like I don't, I wouldn't suggest that this author go through and make the diction or the dialogue between characters this difficult to follow. Um, I guess I'm of two minds about that. I'd like, I'd like to see just a little bit more dialect or or char- unusual speech
0: mm-hmm.
1: among the characters, but um, I, I definitely wouldn't want to take everything to the level of the Prophecy Song. Yeah. Um.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, I wonder how old the prophecy song is and how it really, yeah, I'm, I want to read the story. (laughs) It's what I'm saying. (laughs) It's like, there are all kinds of really great questions for me that are coming up about, you know, about this story. And so I think that that's, yeah. Um,
1: gotta hooks in us. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. All right. So before I, I cut you off you were going to talk, start talking about structure. Okay, so in the, so
0: this scene has a great um just we have a great hook for the book, right? In the um in the that little bit of the poem or perhaps it's part of the prophecy song. No, it can't be part of the prophecy song. Um But the three opening lines, those three opening lines, I think there's such a great hook. Those You know, once upon a time, a hundred years from now, when most of San Francisco is covered with water, a boy named Cash will travel to an island just for kids. And I, you know, like immediately grabbed by that. I want to know all about that. And then we and then, you know, we get a little bit about what, you know, what does San Francisco look like these days? Um. And then we get into the f- um, you know, then we're we're essentially in a different scene where we're in- with the family, and so great hook for the book. And then we have an interesting hook for this scene that's starting out that um, <coughs> that Jasper is working on this thingamabob, uh, or doohickey or. <laughs> I love those words. Um, And, and so it's like, Oh, well, what's that about? And that's really interesting. And then, you know, as we're going along, like, we're kind of thinking about that. And then we have the complications of there are, you know, there are shots being fired. And it's that it's really well done, I think that you know, oh, it's probably Lester, you know, you know how he is. Um, and, and then Marjorie saying, no, it's not Lester tonight. It's his wife. And then, you know, and then lots and lots of questions come up because it's like, wait, why are they, why do they need to guard things? And what's, um, what's going on? Who are the enemies? And, um, and then you have the helicopter. And then finally, this, you know, someone pounding on the door is such a great um, ending to this scene um, that, you know, that I, yeah, I'm like, I want to read the next thing that happens right now. Like, I'm not going to put this book away and go to bed. I'm going to keep reading. (laughs) So I think Excellent. that's really well structured to have, you know, a, a, a circumstance that's, you know, it's kind of curious. And then it builds to, oh, this is dangerous. And, oh, the tension kind of goes up. And then, bam, somebody's knocking on the
1: door. Yes. Yes, I agree. It's really the ratch- the ratcheting up is really well done. And, yeah, you're flipping pages like mad toward the end there. Yeah. All right, so thank you so much, J.H. Lewis, for submitting this to our show. We appreciate you sharing it with us. And uh, we will make sure to try to remember if this is published or not. Unpublished. Okay.
0: Yeah, I know. That's why I'm like, oh, if I had <laughs> if I could
1: have gotten it. So I'm looking forward to All that right, coming All right, so out. let us know when you publish it. Yes. All right, thank you. And... Let's talk about an editorial mission for today. Oh, yeah. That's a great idea. Okay. So I I was realizing we almost never talk about endings because we are always looking at beginnings. Yes. And so today I wanted to talk a little bit about resonance between your ending and your beginning. Uh, Elizabeth Engstrom is a thriller writer who wants a thriller or horror, a little bit of both, I think, Once. Uh, She said something like, if you don't know how your story ends, look to the beginning. If you don't know how your story starts, look to the ending. So now that you have a complete manuscript, evaluate whether or not your beginning and ending resonates. Are there echoes of the beginning and the ending? Are there similarities in character and setting? And then once you've done your evaluation, sit with what you've discovered and see if there's anything you'd like to change about how you open and close your story.
0: Awesome. (laughs) Thanks, Alyssa. You're welcome. All right, we're gonna wrap things up for today. And as we do, we'd love for you to remember that the Writership Podcast is brought to you by the good folks at the Author Marketing Institute, which you can find at www.authormarketinginstitute.com. Don't forget to stop by today for access to the video course, Selling Your First 100 Copies.
1: And if you perhaps haven't yet finished that first draft and want some guidance, a great place to start is with our book, Anchor One, Dreamtime. It's a 90-day journey that helps you consider what decisions to make before you write chapter one, and that is now available in electronic and print versions on Amazon.com. All right, that is it for today. And we look forward to seeing you next time on the Writership Podcast.
0: Thanks for listening to the Writership Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving a review on iTunes and sharing the show with your author friends and communities. And right after you do that, make sure to contact the hosts, Leslie and Alyssa, to help you find the treasure in your manuscript. Head on over to writership.org forward slash podcast to submit your pages.